this week we're jumping in to the beginning of the long story, okay? So the Bible is a long story. And I have my big old honking Bible with me today. <laughs> so you all better be good or I'll thump you, right? No. Um, we're going to start in at the beginning in Genesis. Does anyone know where Genesis is? It's at the very front, right? At the beginning. Genesis means beginning, literally. And uh, we're going to look at what is known as the Pentateuch. Uh, for a lot of the Jewish people, they understand that. The first five books of the Bible, and that would include Genesis. And it's commonly believed, the tradition is, that Moses wrote Genesis. That Genesis is an account that Moses documents. That it's an oral tradition that was passed down. Uh, and they were very, very good at telling stories accurately because they didn't have television, they didn't have iPhones, they didn't have all of these distractions that we have now. So they would tell a story and they would be able to not, not mess it up. It's not like playing a game of telephone where now you know, things are all messed out, up over it. They would be able to tell a story and pass it down. And so this is what uh, Moses does, is he documents this. He, he tells it. Now before we get into exactly into Genesis, you can open up your, your Bible there. And we're going to jump into that soon. But there are 66 books, 1,500 years span in the Bible. And there are at least four different types of biblical lit. And I went with kind of four. I know there's some five and six if you look at it in different ways. But, but four so that we can understand a bit of biblical literature. A lot of the times we think that all of the books were written exactly the same. And, and that isn't correct. Remember, the Bible isn't isn't just one book, it's more of a collection of books that have a common thread and story, and they're all aligned in one direction. So they all accomplish this, and, and God has preserved this and given this to us, but it is a collection of books. It's like a library that you hold in your hands. And so that's what we have with us today, and we have at least four different types of biblical literature. We have narrative which is like a true story. It's when someone is, is talking to you about, uh, they're relaying something that happens. Maybe they're, they're telling you their viewpoint of what happened. They're showing all the story that's there. So narrative, there's epistle, and that means the letter, like to the Romans, a letter to the Romans that Paul wrote. A lot of the New Testament are epistles. So when someone says epistle, that means that they're, they're talking about the letters that were written to churches and to different people. Then we have poetry, and if you open up uh, Psalms in the Old Testament, how many of you have read some of those before? It, it's interesting, we still sing these things, they're mixed into our songs today because it was written as poetry. And then we have wisdom and advice, and that would be Proverbs, right? If you're thinking of uh, one book that is really geared towards that, Proverbs. It's short, quippy statements telling you how to live your life and general principles of life. So you have these four different things. And, and sometimes people get confused over these because they'll be reading somewhere in Scripture and it'll talk about something where Jesus says, I am the door, right? So Jesus says that in different portions of the gospel. He says, I am the door, no one, or I am the gate, no one can come in but through me into heaven. So if we were to take that literally, then we'd be looking at Jesus and going, no, you're not a door, you're a person, right? So what is he doing in that? The narrative is being told of what Jesus said, but at the same, same point, he's using figurative and hyperbole and uh, images 
to speak. And we all do this in different ways. So it's important to know that when the Bible tells us something, it was written in a particular style by uh, the person who is writing it. But ultimately, the author, when we look at Scripture, is the Holy Spirit who guides it along. And so he's the one inspiring them to write. He's the one showing them what to write. But a lot of the times he uses us and our personalities, no matter how good or bad, to accomplish his purpose and his glory. And he did the same thing with the biblical authors. Okay, so the people that sat down and wrote the different books and different, or different epistles, or they wrote down poetry and then it was combined together, or they wrote down the wisdom. These people are guided by God's spirit. That's what we believe as Christians. Make sense? So another thing to remember is uh, when we look at Genesis. So let's just take Genesis uh, into account. Genesis is, is written as a narrative, but it also includes, if we go into, I think, the middle of the chapter, you see an indentation at verse 27. You see uh, the verse that says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That is, that is poetry or art. That was mixed in. So not only can a book have a general type of literature to it, it has a general purpose of literature, uh, it also can have things mixed in. Does that make sense? So it can have things that are mixed into it that are, that are showing the way. The, another thing to remember is that it's very important. It's very important to note that the Bible doesn't say things and then change the meaning later. So if the original author said, said something and his purpose and the Holy Spirit's purpose were, were together in this and it meant this at this point, it doesn't change meaning later just because we're in a different culture and setting. Okay, And this is where it, it's difficult for us because we have to remember that the, the original books were written in different languages than what we speak now. Unless you speak uh, a different language, or unless you're speaking Greek, unless you're doing uh, some of these other things, unless you're speaking Hebrew, uh, Aramaic, then, then you don't have access to the original language in the same way. Now, we can go back and we can look at those letters, and we ourselves can learn how to interpret language and make sure that the interpretation is correct and everything. But we also have to remember that these books were written in a time that's very different than us and with a different worldview than what we have. So when Moses sat down to write uh, Genesis, his intent was to give a narrative he mixed some poetry and some art in there. He gives an explanation, but his intent is primarily to speak to the people of Israel, God's people, that have been brought out of Egypt. And the reason he's documenting these things is because he realizes there is a great need for this. And I believe God predestined him to be the leader of these people, and it says in Scripture that that's true, but he also chose Moses, I think, because he had a high education in Egypt. He was trained. He went to college and university, essentially. He was a very smart, educated man. And so he's documenting these things because he realizes, here's what's happened. We've come out of Egypt, and now we have to get Egypt out of us. Because Egypt is a pagan worldview. And I'm trying to change the hearts of God's people to go back to him. And so what he does is he documents the Pentateuch. He documents the narrative we find in Genesis, the beginning. He starts telling the story that some of them already know, and he writes it down for future generations and for the generation he's speaking to. Because he wants them to know the truth. That's the reason he's doing this. 
because he wants them to understand that there is one true God. That's why he's doing this. So it's important to understand why he's doing this and, and what the point of the scripture is when you're looking at the Bible. People call it hermeneutics. And hermeneutics is a fun little word. Maybe we should consider naming our new boy hermeneutics. No? No. Okay. We're not going to do that, I guess. Herman? No? Nope. <laughs> if he was Herman, he'd have to have glasses. I just know it. Anyways, um, hermeneutics is not an interesting guy. It is a way of bridging the gap between our minds and the minds of the authors and the writers who lived in a different time, in a different culture, with a different language. So there is, there is a missing gap kind of understanding uh, of what's happening. Like Sometimes you'll read the Gospels, and until you go into Israel and you walk where Jesus walked, you don't realize that it, they said they went up to such and such a city. They were literally walking up in elevation. Because we say that in Indiana, and Indiana is as flat as flat can be, right? We're saying, well, if we go up north, then we're going up, right? If we go to South Bend, we're going up north. Now, here's, here's what it's happening is literally some of these things are up and directional. They're, they're literally there, and we don't have that common vernacular, or we don't understand it until we do a deep study, and we start looking at everything, including archaeology, geography, history, language, and these types of things so that we can get in depth. So the Bible is written so that you can understand it, but there's a, a giant depth to it. And, and, and none of us know it so well that we, we've stopped learning, unless we're not opening it. God's word is alive. It's living, it says. And I, I like what a lot of pastors and, and preachers have said way before me, is that like, you, you can read a lot of books, but the Bible is the only book that reads you, right? It's the only book that can cut you to the heart and, 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 and slap you upside the head and give you a hug at the same time, okay? It directs you, it changes you, it guides you, and God's Holy Spirit pulled these things together and, and helped the authors write it down. So that's, that's what that is. So uh, it's important to understand that when we read a verse, we can't take it out of context and, and beat it into what we want it to fit. If it didn't mean that thing back then when it was originally penned, it doesn't mean that thing now. Cool? Now, what about prophecy? Well, prophecy is, is it still meant that thing then, and it's going to mean this thing now. Maybe it isn't fulfilled yet. Maybe it's going to be fulfilled later. We still it still means the exact same thing. So we can't take verses out of context and apply them and misapply them and say that that's God's word because we're abusing and ripping it apart. So it's very important that we, we speak the truth of God's word and not just twist it to what we want it to do. All right? So there are ways that people interpret the Bible when they, when they read it. There is, number one, there's the literal way. It's a plain meaning, and, and sometimes you can see that very clearly, that that's what it was meant in the scripture. It was meant to be literal. There is the moral. That's ethical lessons. Like if you're reading through Proverbs, you see that there's moral law that's being passed, or there's moral things. And, and, and then there is allegorical. Uh, it's two levels. There's types and foreshadowing of Christ in the Old Testament. We see Jesus in the beginning, and we see Jesus in, in John. So when we look at uh, Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface. And, and then we see at the beginning of the New Testament, it says, In the beginning. So you see some 
collusion there. You see that they're actually taking part of this and moving it over there and saying, see how these are tied together. Okay? So you have allegorical and you have foreshadowing and, and there's different verses in, in, uh, in the New Testament where you see uh, types of Christ or people that represent a foreshadowing of Christ. How many of you are readers of like novels and a few of you? So foreshadowing, or you watch a movie and you just know what's going to happen next to that character. It, it's a way of breaking down what's going to happen. Well, God also did that because when he gave us revelation and when we, he gave us the Pentateuch, the first, the first five books we have here, he talked about a lot what was going to happen next. And he was preparing his people. This was not only it was a, an account of history, it was a preparation for what was to come and what God would do. So that, that's continued, and we even see that in the end. So Genesis is the beginning, Revelation is the end. And, that, and then we have, and I can't even say this correctly, anagoglical, and that's numerology. And that's, and that's where some people you know, dive into deep numbers. And again, I, I want to preface this by saying there are different times where you can look at different verses and, and take them in this meaning. But what, what's dangerous, I think, sometimes is is people will settle on one, two, three, or four and read the whole Bible that way, okay? So that means that they're always looking just for the moral. And you may hear people say, well, I, you know, the Bible's fine and good. It's a good handbook, but I don't believe it's without error. And I don't believe that, you know, I don't believe everything that's in it. And, and some of it's outdated. They would say it's, it's good morally that we have this system that we do. It's good that we have some laws based on, on the Ten Commandments. But other than that, I'll leave it. That's moral argument. And so there, they, there are people in, that have read the Bible, and all they do is read the Bible, and their doctorates in, in the Bible and biblical theology, but they don't b believe a lick of it. And it's a profession and a hobby to them. And, and they read it morally. Or they read it for the archaeology. Or they read it for the history. But they don't actually believe it. And th there's an issue with that. Do you see the issue with that? Because it's not taking into account what it was originally meant to be. So the Bible claims to be inerrant. It claims to, to hold the truth of God's word. If it's wrong, then it's wrong. Man, I listened to a, a great song this week. I, I put this thing out on Facebook. I think it was yesterday. And I said, hey, you know, what's your favorite worship song? And, and there was a song that had a Bible verse. And it says, God is not a man that he should lie. And the song just kind of went on. And I was like, this is such a good song because it's so true. It pumps me up because God doesn't lie. And so he gives us his word, his, his revelation. And, and a lot of people say, well, man, if God was real, why wouldn't he tell us who he is? Why wouldn't he tell us what's going to happen and show us what he's going to do? And to that I say, <clears throat> open it. That's exactly what this is, right? Open this. So wouldn't God warn us? If, if God was loving, wouldn't he warn us? Yes, he does over and over again. He tells us who he is and what he's doing. And, and, and even the nation of Israel, the called out ones, his chosen people at the beginning, he warned them all the time, stop doing what you're doing or you're going to be punished. And they're like, we don't care. We're going to keep doing it. And, and Lord knows, I am so glad that we are so much better than they ever were, and we have got it all figured out. We still mess up, don't we? It's still like kids in the backseat of the car who are slapping each other, and you know God's yelling at us and telling us not to do it. And he's, if you don't stop, I'll pull you over, and you're going to get a, you know, well, 
And then he has to, he has to lay down his law sometimes, right? So this, I, I want to show you this real quick. We, we have this graphic, so um, let, me, let me just say, the, what, what the scripture tells us and, and, and what the whole world is asking is how did our world come to be, right? How did we get here? How did everything get here? Why is it here? That's a, that's a big question, isn't it? Why is it here? What's the purpose? Okay? So here, I don't know. Can you guys kind of see this a little bit? Uh, I'm going to read a little bit of it. Um, so, so when Moses went to, to write Genesis, and when he, when he starts this off, his purpose is to pull them out of a pagan worldview. In a pagan worldview, they believed in gods, but they believed that there was a god, you know, the god of the bathroom, and there was the god of the field, and there was a god of, of rain, and there was a god of, and all these little gods. They believed in gods. Uh, so they, 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 they saw this, because the heavens and the earth contain many diverse parts, many gods must exist, because there's many different things. Because the gods are the cosmos, we can manipulate the gods by manipulating the cosmos. So they believed that they could control gods, that, that gods were finite in some ways, they weren't infinite. Uh, because humans are obsessed with sex, the gods are also obsessed with sex. Okay, so you have a lot of gods of sexuality, reproduction, all these different things. Because the universe exists without purpose, the gods have no purpose except survival through acquisition of power, and so humans must pursue power as well. So the ultimate goal is to be in control, right? The ultimate goal is to be selfish and be at the top of the selfish pile. All right, because the gods are selfish and unmerciful, humans must seek their favor by appeasing their appetites, that, that's why you have human sacrifice. That's why you have uh, grain sacrifices and things like that. Because there are many gods, humans must seek the protection of their own gods against other people's gods. So this is why when you read the Old Testament and it says, uh, you know, you'll read different areas, especially in Daniel, you'll see this happen time and time again. Your God is the most high God. Like, what does that mean? There's only really one God who's triune, right? What, what are they saying? They're saying, well, we don't, it's not that we don't believe in your God. It's that we don't know your God. And, and so when you confront a different God in this worldview, you have to figure out whose God is bigger, whose God is better. And basically, whoever God is bigger will win the wars, you know, survive famines, do all these things. So this is their worldview. This is the pagan worldview. The worldview of everyone in Egypt is over here. The, most of the entire world is over here. Because people don't know of the one true God, most of them. Okay, oh, come over here to the monotheistic, that means one God, worldview of the Old Testament. This is what Moses believed and why he wanted to share this with us too. That the universe is unified as the creation of the one true God. God cannot be manipulated through the cosmos because he is not the cosmos. He can't be controlled, right? He alone is God, there's only one in no way comparable to other so-called gods, which are many times just idols, pieces of wood, things, the sky or nature. And he has completely a separate existence from the cosmos. God created the world as a universe with his own unified purposes. He has his reasons, right? And human beings have meaning by fulfilling God's purposes for them. Human beings are designed not to appease uh, I'm not even going to try to say that right now, and power-hungry gods, but to worship and obey a loving creator. Ultimate security and peace come from trusting and worshiping the creator. Do you see the big difference? Do you see the big jump in, in, in these worldviews? Do you see how you would view everything very differently 
if, if you were taught the monotheistic versus the pagan world view. You know, in the, in the pagan worldview, uh, the, the gods fight each other, and the gods can be killed, and gods can be controlled, and gods can be manipulated. In the monotheistic worldview, worldview God has always existed, always will exist, never loses, is always in charge, and he cannot be controlled because he's God. So it's a very, very different religion than any other, very, very different worldview than any other religion, period. Big difference. Big, big, big difference. Now, now, if we were going to throw up another, if we had another space over here where the screen was extended, we could type in atheistic worldview, and, and they, that would have a lot of the paganistic ideas, because then the ultimate only true purpose is to fulfill my purposes, desires, and needs, because there's no greater story than me. And once I die, and I cease to exist, I'll go into the dust, and it'll matter no more. You see the difference between an atheistic worldview, and I know that's a simplification. I don't. I don't want to make any atheists upset or, or or people that are watching that. But but understand that there is a difference between having a, a pagan worldview and monotheistic worldview, and this is why Moses starts to to write this for us. So the, and this answers the big questions: How did our world come to be? How did everything get here? Why is it here? What's the purpose? So Genesis one one. Open up your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, open up one of them in front of you. We're going to try to have some of these on the screen, but I just it's easier if you're holding it. You might as well hold it because we're going to look at this. Some of you are wondering if I was ever going to get into the Scripture. <laughs> Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So here, here's the image. The, the earth isn't really there yet. It's empty. Everything is empty. There's nothingness. And darkness is covering this. And there's some water maybe that's drifting around. I don't know exactly what that means. But it means nothing's formed yet. It's like some of the raw elements are there, but they're not together. And the Spirit of God is just there as well. And then verse 3, this is where everything changes. It says, then God said, what? Let there be light. And there was light. God said, let there be light. And there was light. He spoke it into existence. Realize that when God speaks us into his existence, he is speaking all of the physics, all of the mechanics, all of the details, all of the principles and governing laws of light into existence. Whew. Speaks it. How would he know that? Well, he's God. <laughs> he created it. He created the laws of light. He created how it defeats darkness. He created the waves and, and all the different waveforms, the, the ones that you can see and the ones that you can't see yet. There, there are lights that you can't see. He created all the, he created the speed of light. Can you imagine that? When he spoke it into existence, it became. It became. Then he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day and the darkness night, and evening passed and morning came, marking day one, the first day. Then day two, God said, let there be space between the waters to separate the waters 
of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of earth from the waters of the heavens. God called the space sky, and the evening passed, and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together in one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. And God called the dry ground, what? Land. And the waters, what? Seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing plant. And this, these seeds will then what? They'll, they'll produce the kinds of plants, there go my notes, and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. And the land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. And their seeds produced plants and trees, the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the, first, uh, marking the third day. I, I think we see one of the answers to our question already. We ask the question is like, why is it here? Right? Why is everything here? God, God answers it at the front of his book. Because it is, God looked and saw that it was good. He delights in the creation that he makes. He enjoys the creation that he makes. Well, if God knew that the world was going to get so messed up, if God knew that everything was going to get so, if God knew that, that his children were going to have pain, if God, then why did he do it? How many of you have had babies? How many of you know that they are going to hurt themselves? And yet you still had babies? Why? Because it's good. It's good to create, isn't it? It is. Sometimes it's terrifying to have a little mini-me running around. But overall, it's good, right? Otherwise, we, you know, the humanity stops. Isn't that interesting that we, we'll put on God things that we don't take ourselves. God can't be good if he created things that ended up being bad. Like We still bring kids into the world knowing that they're going to face difficulty. And, and, and yet, in God's creation, that wasn't the, the origination. That we don't see the difficulty at first, right? Because right now we're in the creation. Remember when we saw that, that graphic, long story short. So this week is creation. Next week we're talking about chaos. Some of you are all like, I don't need to talk about that anymore. I live it. I have, hey, how you doing there, Jack? Speaking of mini-me. <laughs> it's good, right? God, and God saw that it was good, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, let lights appear in the sky. We're on verse 14. To separate the day from night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, the days, and the years. He establishes these things. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. And he also made the stars. And God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. 
Then God said, let the waters swarm with the fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. And God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to what? Produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, I'm going to make something different. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Whoa, time out, man. I thought you said God was monotheistic, one God. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is a triune God. One God, three persons. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We go back to Genesis 1.1. I can show you where they are. It says, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God, right? So we're going to say that's Father God. The earth was formless and empty and darkness, and the Spirit of God, that's His Spirit, hovered over it. Well, then where's Jesus? Then God spoke. Jesus is the Word of God. He is the voice of God. He is the, the very language of God, because if we go to, go all the way over to here, let's see if I can actually do this. Everyone hum while I do this. Oh, that's good. You guys are good at humming. <laughs> that was fun. Okay. I want to show you this. And I, Yes, John 1, that's exactly where I'm going. Quit reading my notes, Dad. John, I'm just, I, this Bible is so big, I've got to turn all the pages. John 1. Ah! Oh. Man, you could just read it by now. In the, okay, this is what John 1, 1 says. I want to show you this. this. So important. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was God, and the Word was with God, and he existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Who's he talking about? Sunday school answer, guys, is Jesus, right? This is exact, and you know he's talking about it because the context, because he goes on to talk about John the Baptist there, and then he tells you exactly who Jesus is, because verse 29 says, the day, next day John saw Jesus coming and said, look, the Lamb of God, the one who takes the sin of the world, he is the one I was talking about. So we see that the triune God exists in Genesis. Jesus himself speaks these things into creation. God himself is there. This stuff excites me. I'm sorry. Because what we have is we have, in the Bible, you have progressive revelation. Now, that means what we have is, is God tells us something, and then he tells us more, and then he tells us more, and then he tells us more. And so that's when we have the New Testament, guys. We are so much better off than the Israelites even were, because they didn't have all of that we have. 
And, and it, it hurts me sometimes because of my lack of knowledge of this, because it's given to me and I take it for granted. So there's, there's a desire for me to understand this, a desire for me to want you to understand this, because God is so big and so infinite that he speaks things and they happen. He says something and it's created, not just is it created, it's created in such a fashion that it can replicate itself. God did this way before Xerox. God created things that could recreate. It's amazing. It's so incredible. And he did this because it was good, because it was his desire, because it was designed, because he wanted something. So verse 26, we see this again. Why are we here? Verse 26 of Genesis. Then God said, let's make human beings in our image to be like us, like the triune God. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals of the earth and the small animals that scurry around along the ground. So monotheistic worldview tells us that we are not just animals. We are not animals. We were the only creation that was made in the image, imago Deo, in the image of God. That there are things that God has given us that other creatures do not have. He has given us the ability to create in ways that other creatures cannot create. They can make nests. They can use simple tools sometimes. They can do this or that. But they cannot design a skyscraper. I have not seen a monkey do that yet. They cannot create, you know, a car. If we see a dog driving a car, we should freak out, right? They cannot do complex things. They, they don't have uh, the same thing that God has put within us because he said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So we are like not just God the Father, we are like the Spirit and we are like the Son. And we hold emotions and we hold memories and we hold feelings and we hold passions and we hold the very creativity of God within our souls and in our minds. And it wants to express itself all of the time. It wants to do the things that God does because we're made in the image of God. We don't hold the same power and authority, but we hold a likeness to him. We are the children of God made in his image. If anything is as close to having a child, it would be humanity being made by God. And we are the only ones that's created in a different way, right? So everything else he speaks into, into existence, but it, it, it's different for them. We go further in the, in the Bible and, and we see in Genesis that God uh, made Adam from the dirt and he breathed life into him. He gave him his very breath. The same thing he used to speak things into existence, he breathed into us to create something in his own Image. So verse 27 says he created human beings in his own image. Then verse 28 says, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry around the ground. Basically, take the authority and the position that you're called to take because I have given it to you. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the trees for your food, and I have given you every green 
uh, plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. I love that sentence there. That is what happened, guys. <laughs> That's what happened. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in it was completed. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he napped. He rested. He didn't nap. I would be tired. But he rested, right? He's like, I've created. I want you to realize something. When God spoke things into existence, when he made the animals, he made the birds, he made the humans, right? When he made us and everything in it, he created within it the ability to go forward, to multiply, to subdue the earth, to control it. And so when it says he rested, it said he, it's like saying he rested from creation, but he, creation continued. You see what I'm saying here? So when God spoke light into existence, it is still going out. You realize that? When, they look at the, when they, scientists look at what's happening with light, it is still pushing forward. It's still expanding and going out. When God speaks something, it never goes away. When God says something, it is always true. So when God spoke light into existence, he never shut it down. It's still going out. It's still continuing. And so when he spoke humanity into existence, it still continues. It still goes. It's incredible when we look at this, the amount of content that is loaded in here. Now, we, we get a more detailed and a very detailed account in chapter 2 where it talks about uh, God creating man and woman, and, and it speaks into detail in that, but realize that a lot of the times when, when the people that Moses talked to, they weren't used to an always linear approach. And he very well lays it out. He very well structures it out and says, here's what happened on what day. And then he goes back and starts adding some color and detail and telling us how it occurred. And so that's where we get the account of Adam. And then we know that, that Adam does what? He gets, he gets the job of naming all of the animals. He gets the job of naming them all. And if we go back to, uh, oh, where is it? If we go back to Genesis 1, we see that God names things. Do you see that very clearly? He says these are trees, these are plants, this is light. And, and, and what does it mean to name something? You are claiming authority over it. When somebody discovers something now, like a medicine, or they discover a new scientific theory, or they discover a mathematic equation, a lot of the times they put their last name, and that's what that becomes, right? It becomes this, and they name it. Why? Because they discovered it, or they created it. So when God speaks over his creation, he gives it dominion and authority. And when God hands that to Adam, he's saying, here's the keys. You're in charge. And he gives them some rules, and they don't, we see very quickly, they, they mess up on that. But he's giving him dominion, he's giving him authority over this, and that's why we still have that today. That's, that's the world you'll see outside of these four walls. You'll see that that it continues to expand and grow. I want to show you this, this graphic of the creation. Maybe this will help you understand a little bit more. It's the picture with all of the sky in there. There we go, thank you. So, so we go from... Uh, cosmos that's just kind of chaos, it's just kind of empty, it's just kind of void, 
And then we go into creation. In day one, we have light and dark. In day two, we have water and sky. In day three, we have sea and land formed. And then day four, we see that God fills it. Do you see that? So he created portions of it already over here. Day four, he starts filling the skies with the sun, the moon, and the stars. He starts expanding that. Day five, he starts filling it with birds and fish. You're like, well, didn't he fill it completely? No, it says he made it, and then they filled the earth by what? Multiplying, right? And and the same thing happened with the sun, moon, and stars. I think he spoke it into existence, and his word just kept going, and it's still creating these things. So we have the birds and the fish in day five, and then six, we have what? Animals and humans. So he creates the things that fill the earth. He creates the things that fill the water and the sky, and he creates the things that fill the heavens. Even, there's even an order to the creation that he makes. I love it. It, it. it wasn't a mistake, guys. It's not a mistake that you're here right now. It's not, it's not like God oopsie-daisied when he made the world and when he made humans. It wasn't a surprise to him that chaos came eventually. And you can see that, that, that God had a plan through all of this. So let's look at chapter 2. I think this is, well, actually, th- this is really cool here, too. Let me show you this picture before we, we move on, the, the little map picture, because there you go. If you're looking for the Garden of Eden, these are the two locations you should really look. Because <laughs> specific geography is given. I, I just find that so neat. And I think in one of them, it talks, and I, there's, there's this little boy that's always inside of me, and some of you see him occasionally, and he does mean things or nice things or funny things. I don't know. Anyways. They, they talk about the, the gold being very good in a specific location, and I've always wanted to go on like a Bible treasure hunt. Anyone with me? Yeah. We'll go get, go, go get the gold picks and run out there. All right. <laughs> but it tells us some locations, and so they kind of have some ideas of, of where the Garden of Eden could have been. That's why the question mark's there. Uh, but I just thought that was neat and wanted to share it. It's inside my Bible, so if any... Any of you want to get this Bible, it's a good one. I'll, I'll tell you what it is. It's an NLT um, Illustrated Study Bible. So it's very helpful in this study. So let's look at Genesis 2. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was a day that he rested from all of his work of creation. And that's where we get the Sabbath or Shabbat day. That's where the, the Jewish people celebrate and still function within that. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and earth. So we're more detailed here. Then when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth. And there were no people to cultivate, cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. We're in Genesis 2, and verse 7 there, now in verse 8. Then the Lord God planted a, a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. And the Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful, and that produced delicious fruit. Hmm, that'd be good, right? In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. The first branch, called the Pishon, 
flowed around the entire land of Havilah, where gold is found. Let's, let's go, go hunt, right? Maybe they found it all already. I don't know. The gold of that land is exceptionally pure. Aromatic resin and onyx stone were found there. The second branch was called the Gihon, flowed around the entire land of Cush. The third branch was called the, the Tigris, flowed east on the land of Ashur. The fourth branch is called the Euphrates. And so that's the image that we were showing you there. And the Lord God placed the man in the garden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to what? Die. Then the Lord God said, it is good. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one, and he gave names to all the livestock, all the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But there was still no helper, just right for him. So as he's going through all the animals, he's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> he doesn't see anybody that looks like him, right? So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. First surgery we have here. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to the man. At last, I like that translation, finally, the man exclaimed, this is bone of my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from me. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are, are united into one. Now the man and the wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So not only is the Garden of Eden such a perfect temperature, they don't need clothes, but they can stand in God's presence and in each other's presence without feeling any shame over who they are because they are completely what God created them to be. They are without defect. They are exactly what God wanted them to be. And so they don't dwell in the mind that we have now. Now you can say, well, it, it, it's only human to sin. Uh-uh. It's fallen humanity that sins. The original intent of humanity was not sin. And how many of you have felt shame before? If all of a sudden we were all nude, we would all feel shame. Except for maybe one of you that'd be like, I don't care. <laughs> but most of us would feel shame, right? How many of you have done something wrong before and you feel ashamed? How many of you have done something that wasn't the best and you get called out for it and you get mad, but you're not really mad, you're ashamed? That's like 90% of my arguments with my wife on my end. <laughs> like, oh man, she saw me do that. I gotta say, oh, you're right. I have to get over it, right? Shame. They were without shame. They were without, that's another way of saying it, they were without sin. They were united together in perfect, perfect humanity. Because humanity was meant to be like God, only good. Because we were created to know only good and not even be able to do bad. Yet, it doesn't end there, does it? The story doesn't end there. Next week, we're going to talk about chaos. Everyone say chaos. Because that's what happens. Hey, you guys can read ahead. It's not like going to spoil it, okay? All right? Can you guys 
can, can you guys at least commit to like starting to read Genesis and read all the creation and the fall account? That'd be good. How many of you, I'm, I'm not going to say this. I'm just going to put this out there. If you got the Bible app or you have one of those one-year Bibles, try to read through it in a year. Do your best. Even if you fall behind and it takes you longer than that, do it. Even if you're not a good reader, use your Bible app. There is a 90-day Bible study where you can go through fast. Like if you're in a car for a long time and you want to listen to it, you can do that. You can go through a lot of scripture very quickly. Here's the difference between taking a little Bible verse or having a little Bible study and reading all of it very, very large over the view, big, big view, big picture, as you start to see how they all fit together. When you focus so smallly on little things, we miss it. I, I was reading something today that said that the, the people in, in uh, the Jewish temples, they would sit down and they would read a whole book of the Bible on Sabbath. And I'm like, wow, that's a long service sometimes. But they would go through that and then they would go to the next one so they could go through the whole Pentateuch within a year. Like they would just fly through it. So it's, it's a good idea to get the broad view. Read all of the Bible so that you know what it says, right? And as you do that, God's going to show you things through his spirit. He's going to tell you things and you're going to see things in a different way. Amen. All right, I, I'm excited because here, here's what I see in Genesis. I, I want to kind of leave this with you. The worship team can start getting up here. I see the reason for why God created things. Do you see it? He said it was good. He created it for his pleasure. He created it because it was good, because he's a creative God. I see how the world got here. It, it, Moses says it, or whoever the author is, I believe it's probably Moses, says it right here. He says, and that is what happened. That's how it happened. So we get that answer. What's the purpose? God gave purpose to Adam and Eve, didn't he? He said, uh, multiply upon the earth, exert your authority over it, be in control over all these things, and walk in the path that I have for you, and be like me. And that is what God is still calling us to do, amen? So, so uh, when, we, when we look at the big picture, and we see chaos that comes eventually, and we see salvation that God has offered us so freely, we see restoration back into the creation narrative. We see us being restored back into Adam and Eve and that type of thing. Now, it doesn't mean we get to run around without our clothes on. No, what, what that means is our hearts can be made pure so that we are living without shame. And who doesn't want to do that? I want to live that way. And I know that by God's grace, I'm going in that direction. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you explain who you are. We thank you that your voice spoke things into existence. We thank you that you breathed the breath of life into us and that you created the systems and the intricate reproductive systems that, that multiply birds and, and seeds and even humans, Lord. We thank you that your creation continues to expand and grow. And we see that your word never returns void. It always does what it's called to do. And we thank you that you are not a man that you should lie, but you are a holy God who's calling us back into living without shame. So right now, Lord, I confess my sins before you and everyone else. God, I need to live without shame. And Lord, I pray over everyone in here that they would say, yeah, I've messed up. Yeah, I've done the wrong thing. Yeah, I've lived in chaos. But God, help me to live without shame and to live in the presence of God and to be more human than I've ever been before because God is making me right. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.